Welcome to Southern Fried Fantasy, a podcast for readers and writers, where Southern authors talk about books set in the region they call home. Book lovers beware, your TBR pile is about to get taller than high cotton. Right. Welcome back to another episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. I'm your host, Bob Magoo of Tales by Bob. And this week, I am super excited to have on Parker Jones. Uh, Parker was actually one of the uh, earliest people to reach out to me instead of me reaching out to them. So uh, that was really cool to have happen. So, uh, Parker, thanks for coming on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So I like to just dive right in, not waste anybody's time. So, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of what ties you to the South? Uh, well, I was born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. I went to the University of Tennessee, which is here in Knoxville, uh, and studied in their creative writing program, where I tried to sell a bunch of uh, literary fiction professors' horror stories that were <laughs> rooted in the South, and that went about as well as you would expect it to, but I learned a lot while I was there, and just this is where I grew up, and it's really the only place I know. So it seeps mm. into my writing just naturally because they say, write what you know. So, yeah, I, I just have to address uh, one pressing issue. Um, I assume because you went to the University of Tennessee that you are a Tennessee fan. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I'm hard pressed to not just cancel this podcast <laughs> as we speak. Uh, as someone who bleeds crimson, um, I, I never thought the day would come, uh, <laughs> but here we are. I, somehow I will, I will struggle through the rest of this interview, but uh, I, I like to tell people, if you see me wearing a turban, then Tennessee must be playing Al-Qaeda next week. So, <laughs> so, oh, that's rough. No, that's yeah. so rough. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I can only imagine. I, uh, when I was in college, uh, you know, I had a couple of uh, creative writing class or more like, you know, uh, just intro level literature classes. And they weren't the most receptive of things outside the norm, shall we say. So I can only imagine uh, uh, how, how that went for you trying to pitch horror to uh, kind of some staid uh, you know, set in their ways, uh, Southern professors. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it was, it was definitely a challenge. I, and, you know, it didn't get any better when I was like, well, what about a story about a wizard or something like that? They were, they still looked at me very nonplussed. Yeah. Oh, I can, I can imagine. <laughs> it's a shame really, you know, uh, you know, the genre fiction definitely has that reputation of, oh, well, it's not as good as literary fiction, but um, I think that that is slowly starting to change a little bit. I think it'll probably always carry a little bit of that baggage, but there's just so many just fantastic books being written that are genre fiction and it's becoming much more uh, mainstream, you know, in the past decade, you know, look at how big something like game of Thrones has gotten. And of course, Stephen King, you know, is the 800 pound gorilla in the room for horror. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm hoping that we start to see a shift and I've, I've actually seen where there are some, uh, some, you know, genre fiction authors becoming professors. So I'm hoping that they can kind of help, uh, 
make make some change there. <laughs> oh, well, that was going to be my intent for a long time. Uh, that's that's what I was going to school to do was mm-hmm. to teach creative writing eventually. And uh, that is still something that I think about doing quite a bit just to throw my hat in the ring and be a proponent of genre fiction, because those are my favorite stories to read. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, I think we'll get there, but it's just going to take some time. So uh, my understanding is you have uh, two books out, correct? The the Wrong Side of the Grass, which is a collection of horror and Sleepless Nights, Nightmare Nocturne, which is the first in a trilogy. Yes, that is correct. So why don't you take a moment and uh, tell us about them? Sure. Uh, Well, The Wrong Side of the Grass, I wrote uh, most of it while I was still in college, and it was really my journeyman thing that I wanted to get out there. I mean, it's a very big book and it has several stories in it that took uh, years to weave together into a cohesive thing to where you Mm. can see all the threads that connect one story to another. And I really just wanted to take pretty much every classic horror trope that I could think of and turn it on its head and do it in my way. Like if I, I was going to tell a zombie story, here's how I would do it. And so I took that approach with the big ideas and horror and wanted to just put my spin on them and put that Southern flavor to it and, you know, kind of bring back that uh, interwoven feel that you get. If you read some of those old Stephen King short story collections, you can see how one story connects to another in, in like its own universe. And so that idea was, that idea was very appealing to me. Um, As far as Sleepless Nights goes, that is much more of a superhero fantasy story, which is really just me rocking and rolling, trying something different, telling a story about psychic superheroes. Uh, And I got a bunch of big ideas and it kept rolling until I said, well, this isn't just one book. This is going to be at least three. Yeah. Well, I saw uh, one of your reviews said if Stephen King wrote the X-Men. Uh, and I just thought that was such an excellent byline, you know. Uh, oh yeah, that was pretty cool. I, that that one definitely made me smile as well. Yeah, uh, I and I have ta- I've got to where like, you know, people sometimes tell me um, better hooks for my my books than I can come up with. <laughs> and uh, one person described mine as uh, if uh, uh, oh God, how do how do you put it if uh, Bill Faulkner met Jim Butcher. And oh, I was that's like, pretty great too. <laughs> I like, Ooh, I like that. So I, I've used that in some of my promo materials. So I would, I would definitely say throw that on, throw that on a, on a good image for promo. Uh, Cause oh, that, yeah. that really stood out to me. And I, I thought that was kind of, kind of catchy. Yeah, well, oh. I, I definitely appreciate the kudos there. And uh, you're right. That's just like snapshot for an ad or yeah. something like that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so I got to say, I really love, so I, I got my start writing uh, short stories and um, uh, primarily horror as well. A lot of Southern horror. So it definitely has a soft spot in my heart. Uh, and I, I kind of find that once you start writing horror, it's kind of hard to, to not. So like even the, the more urban fantasy stuff I write definitely has those, those scenes of, of horror in them. But yeah, same here. I, that I've, think the two genres are very interconnected you look at even jim butcher and you see Mm -hmm. that the horror creeps in all the time yeah it's i just 
one thing I wanted to say is uh, it short story collections sometimes are hit and miss, but I always find the ones I enjoy the most are horror. Cause I, I think just from a personal perspective, horror tends to work best as a short story. There are some people, you know, you've got your, your Stephen Kings that, you know, that they can craft these incredibly well-crafted lengthy horror novels. Um, but even still, I would say that King's best work is his short fiction. Um, novella length and shorter to me has always been my favorite from him. Uh, so uh, I'm definitely going to be checking this collection out because I love short story collections and horror are my favorite. So uh, I, I'm excited to, to check this one out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I have to agree as well. Uh, horror lives in a great space when you can get in and get out because you yeah. don't want to give too much away. And the longer you stay, the greater a risk that is. So yeah. the, the short story format for me in horror does go hand in hand for sure. Yeah. So uh, so the, I got to ask, uh, the cover to uh, Sleepless Nights is one of the coolest I've seen in a long time. Uh, I, I just love it. It's, it's For those who haven't seen it yet, uh, you should definitely go check these books out and you'll see the cover then. Um, what is it? Dream catcher, uh, yeah. with tentacles. Yeah. Uh, and that is so badass. I just love that <laughs> so much. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I think you actually had, uh, Alex Nader on. Yeah. Show. Uh, his wife is the one who did that cover and she you does know, his covers too. She's the best. She is. And you know, I, uh, yeah, Alex Nader, by the time y'all are hearing this, he will, his episode will have aired. Um, yeah, no, you know, it, it had a little bit there. Where I was like, God, this seems familiar. I think he shared that uh, somewhere and I saw it. And then when I saw it again here, I was like, Ooh, man, that's really good. So yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Uh, all his covers look so good. Um, so yeah. Okay. So good. Well, now I know where you got it made. That's good to know. <laughs> so, yeah absolutely he's he's great and she's great uh yeah because he's up he's up uh your neck of the woods as well um yeah so uh i don't think he's a tennessee fan um no he's not but that's okay we still get along just fine mm -hmm. he and i are very mm -hmm. good friends i knew i knew i liked him a lot so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um all right so you, you talk about like you write a lot of southern horror and uh, mm -hmm. so what what are some of the elements of Southern culture that you kind of wanted to show in in these? So I think one of the biggest things like uh, you said that a lot of people answer hospitality, which is a correct answer. But uh, if I wanted to give a different answer, I would have to say this sense of otherness that anyone feels that uh, if you're just slightly different and you don't fit in. And that to me is integral in the South. It, mm -hmm. It's a story that I can tell as somebody who grew up as a super big nerd in the South, that doesn't yeah. mesh as well sometimes. And if you're trying to come at things like fantasy stories and horror stories, not a lot of people are listening and reading to those types of things. And so I, I try to include that outsider feel mm. that i had in the south growing up because it's it's very prevalent especially in knoxville yeah oh, i can imagine yeah and that was something that i definitely i was pretty lucky like my high school experience um i was definitely the weird kid but i wasn't really 
shunned for it. You know, um, me and my friends, we, we were the goth kids and, uh, strangely, like no one, you know, seemed super weirded out by that. Um, but I can remember when I was, uh, younger, you know, kind of like early teens, I was at a different school and, uh, yeah, it was very much, it was, you know, having interests outside the norm. Like I was a good bit nerdier than, than most of my peers. And yeah, it, there is a strong, uh, this person is other, uh, side-eyed looks, you know, uh, I was lucky. I wasn't really bullied. Uh, but it was definitely, I, I didn't have as many friends as I had when I was younger. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the people that I consider friends definitely drifted away because, uh, are interested, uh, had diverged so much. So it's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's pretty much what I'm aiming at there. It, and it's like, uh, people will say uh, or present hospitality in one hand and then that otherness in the other hand. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. And I know I can definitely see it. Like now that I'm older, it, uh, <laughs> it's been a lot more prevalent in my, um, adult life. You know, I'm, you know, longtime metalhead and uh just going out into the community wearing a, a battle jacket you know it it gets it gets a lot of looks you know yeah uh having tattoos you know of the of the wrong kind you know i don't have the <laughs> i don't have the stereotypical you know black panther uh clawing up clawing his way up your arm or you know <laughs> rebel flags or something so you know i have i have a tattoo that looks a lot like your book cover you know it's a lot of tentacles um, yeah, that that gets a lot of uh, sideways looks, you know. That's awesome. So, I just have Luke Skywalker and Spider Man and nice. stuff like that on my arms. <laughs> nice, nice. So yeah, no, I think that's uh, it's definitely the uh, one thing I really like to do with this podcast and show you know how the the South is so diverse. But for as diverse as the South is, there is definitely even amongst you know our ourselves you know we have a cultural norm you know and it varies from region to region but if you're outside that cultural norm you know uh it, it, you can see the internal struggle of hospitality versus ooh, that person's weird <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and, and so writing horror stories or even uh sleepless nights there's this sense that all the characters are a little bit out of place in the world and that's just something within that i bring to my stories i think yeah yeah so building on that i like to i like to ask you know where do you get your ideas and i realize it's a very cliche question but how i like to spin it is i, I like to know how much does do you as an author do you draw from events in your own life and work them in or do you try and keep a more of a distance between your life and your in your work kind of like what's the balance there for you um for me i can't help but include things that stand out to me as far as if i'm trying to create a character who would have a particular affect if i'm going to try to justify them having that affect then i pull from an example in my own life that would justify it and yeah sure i'll change details around and stuff like that but I don't think I've ever written a story that didn't have some something personal in it. I think that without that, it's hard to make a story successful. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I definitely put a lot of myself into my work and I, but it's always interesting to me because you, I do get a wide, you know, range of answer to that question. 
and you know some people they they definitely do try to keep that distance and uh um for a whole host of reasons so yeah sure more power uh, to you if you can pull it off but it's harder for me yeah so i i just so winding back a little bit you talked about how your stories are interconnected and i always i always love when authors do that um what are some ways that you kind of interconnected the stories is it like a use the same locations you have like maybe characters overlap like how did you how did you go about doing that um, well, in the wrong side of the grass, there is a character named Sean Baylor, and he is in four of the stories. And you kind of follow him throughout his whole life, like checking in every fourth of the book yeah. with Sean throughout his story. And then there's also the same evil book called The Lamegaton that is a kind of my necronomicon that shows up in several of the stories in different forms and so just tying it all together with the same eldritch thing um definitely taking from lovecraftian story work there and also just reading comic books like just growing up reading comic books how they did their crossovers it's like well so and so would show up from this story he was a psychiatrist and they're going to be the psychiatrist in this story yeah and just any way that i could blend them together i did i love that and where uh where are they primarily set you said in tennessee in that yeah mostly tennessee um i've done some stuff uh around atlanta um Mm -hmm. but tennessee georgia south in general is usually where i live in my stories Mm -hmm. yeah i love it i love it so uh are there any sort of supernatural creatures from southern folklore that you used um well let's see there's well spoilers there's a story i'm working on right now that may or may not include a not deer i don't know if you're familiar with the not deer i don't know okay you've got to tell me about the not deer the not deer is uh, a Native American legend um, from around the Appalachians where it's like a predatory deer whose legs bend the wrong way and it's got forward facing eyes and it can run at you bipedally. And people say that it's, it just gives them a sense that something is off and something is wrong like it's an otherworldly thing trying to look like a deer and some people have said that it's tried to communicate with them in strange ways and stuff like that so i like the idea of this harbinger creature that's just roaming around the appalachians trying to blend in that is so creepy i love it so much yes it's pretty neat Wow. Yeah. No, I, I've, I've got to read that when you get it done. Like, oh yeah. my God, that sounds so good. I, ooh, I like hard to give me chills, but the, just the mental image of walking through the woods and a deer with legs around the wrong way, running at me, trying to communicate is just the creepiest stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Definitely well, like that one. Love it. So uh, was there anything else that you use? I, you said, I know you said that you like to try and take some of the, like uh, the, the, the standards of horror and kind of and make them your own, which is something I love. Like, I, I feel like a, a lot of people have started trying to shy away from, you know, some of the, the standards, I guess you could say. Uh, and I, I hate that, you know, they're, they're the standards for a reason, you know, and I love it when people 
uh, take something like that and just really make it their own. So, yeah, absolutely. So like if I was going to tell a ghost story, for example, uh, what I would do is I would maybe tie it to a different kind of story. So I took a serial killer and said, well, what if the serial killer was the one who was getting haunted? And this is like the end of his career. And that's the ice cream man story from the wrong side of the grass. So, yeah, it's a ghost story about someone who's being haunted, but do something a little bit different with it and give it that extra layer to make it interesting. Or um, the Highgate tapes is about vampires, but I wanted to think of like, well, what if a vampire came to the South and was really trying to blend in what would that look like and then who would follow it here to try to take care of it and so i wrote that story and it's all as if it was the transcript of an audio tape so there there are no uh visuals in it only audio descriptions of what you would hear so it feels like you're listening to it when you Mm. read it yeah just something else to make that one stand out yeah i I love the I love found footage horror movies. They're, hmm, they might be my favorite style of horror movie. It's hard. Uh, God, it's so hard. But yeah, it's definitely in my top two favorite style of horror movies. And uh, I had the pleasure of getting to be in an anthology of, they were found footage, but short stories. It's it called Found oh, Fiction. Cool. And that's really every, cool. Yeah, no, I loved it so much. And so every story in there was, you had, it had to be a story that was, found in some way so like mine was the typed up uh suicide note of an author (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty creepy though i bet uh, you have to send me the link to that i'd love to read that yeah yeah it's uh uh it's it's still on amazon as far as i know i haven't uh i haven't kept up with it much over the past few years it was one of the first things i ever got in um but yeah it was it was great so I, i i appreciate it when other people do that found footage style of hey this isn't it's not necessarily a story. It's this is the audio recording of, yeah, I, I just love that. So, all right. Well, thank so, you very much. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, one other thing that mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about yeah. uh, your work. Like, I, I know that you do this podcast and you all also have your own writing and stuff, but uh, how much, like, have you done any editing and things like that? Like, uh, accepting short stories for a compilation or something like that? So, it's it's hard to say when this episode is going to go uh, live, um, but by the time this episode goes live, this shouldn't be a spoiler by this point, but I am looking into it. Um, uh, I've t- actually talked about Alex Nader. Me and him have talked a bit about it, of uh, trying to do some sort of uh, Southern Fried Fantasy anthology. Um, so it's really just, working up logistics at this point and so yes it is it, it is something i am definitely looking into uh it's not something i necessarily have a lot of experience with though and so i'm i'm taking my time uh, making sure i have the the kind of the funds set aside ahead of time so i can pay for you know the pro level editing and cover design and all that jazz so good, um, good. but yeah no it's definitely something uh i i definitely uh 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 a hero of mine is john hartness and uh he and some friends uh basically started a small press and 
kind of following that model has been something that uh, I've kind of always dreamed about doing, but it is so much work, you know? <laughs> so, oh yeah, for sure. But that does sound awesome. I mean, I, I'm already interested. So yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So just keep an eye on this space. Um, at some point I will be putting out a, by the time you hear this podcast, you may have already heard that I'm put, I've put out a call for, uh, um, for short story submissions. Um, and then we'll just, we'll, we'll just have to see how it goes. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, taking my time. So I don't, uh, get burned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got you. That sounds like plan. Yeah, but no, I definitely, you know, uh, I want it to be, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I primarily write urban fantasy, right. Or I primarily publish urban fantasy right now, but, um, I have, uh, God, a couple hundred thousand words of horror just sitting around nothing, you know, short stories and a novel and whatnot. So they're all stories I want to eventually get to see the light of day. So I feel like this might be a good way to do some of that, but so it'll be a, a genre fiction anthology, not necessarily limited to urban fantasy, as long as it's Southern and it's genre fiction, that's, uh, that's going to be the, what we're looking for. That's awesome. So yeah, I'll definitely, uh, I'll, I'll make sure you, I'll make sure you hear about it when we do it. So cool, cool. yeah. So, all right. So the, the first half of the podcast is more for the readers back half. I kind of style it more for the writers. So I want to know what's your writing process. Are you more of a plotter uh, or are you more of a pantser? So what I typically do is I, I have like four notebooks all throughout my house and like sticky notes everywhere and notepad documents on every computer that mm -hmm. is within my reach. Mm -hmm. And what I do is when an idea comes to me, I write out as much of the ideas I can think of and then say, when I get to it, I'll plot that out and write it. But I just kind of make a fishbowl of ideas and the one that keeps like cropping up in my memory, that's the one I'm going to focus on and write. And I do a lot of plotting before I get to actually writing rough drafts. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I That's not something I'd heard of before, but I, I really like that method. You know, what, what idea keeps popping up the most. Um, and I suspect if I were to get really introspective, that's probably what I do, but I've just never heard it vocalized. So uh I, I think it sounds like it's your subconscious telling you, hey, this is the best idea to do this. Yeah, pretty much. It's like uh, this one, it, you keep thinking about it because it's worth thinking about. And yeah. so that's that's where I take off. And I just follow the muse. And if a story's not working for me, I'll jump to another idea in the fishbowl for a little while yeah. just to cleanse the palate. Well, it's definitely something I've been struggling with right now. I'm, I am uh, working on the back half of book five in my series. And I, I had a idea fully fleshed out, ready to drop in, uh, just had, you know, just had to sit down and write it. But this other idea kind of came to me on the drive to work one day. And I just sat there in silence, like cut the radio off so I could think it through. And uh, it's like, Ooh, no, I think this is the idea I need to write. So it's like, I have an idea perfectly ready to go, but instead I'm herring off after this just really just a, a, a nugget of an idea with no flesh on it. Uh, but it's, it's an idea I keep thinking about, you know, it's. Yeah. Uh, so I say chase it, man. You just oh, got to follow that muse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it turns out. I mean, the other story is going to get written eventually anyway. It's uh, it's going to happen, but it's just, Ooh, this is the one that's catching my eye right now. So let me dive into that. 
Yeah, for so, sure. Um, so what is, let's say there's someone listening to this right now that's kind of struggling with getting into writing. What would be some advice you'd like to give them? What's maybe your best little snippet of advice? Um, my best little snippet of advice is don't get discouraged by being told no, because you're going mm. to get that rejection. Just know that going in and you've got to keep fishing and eventually you'll get a bite. Yes. Oh, 100%. I, I used to tack all my rejection letters on the wall. And then, you know, after I had a, a bunch of those, I started tacking on, uh, personalized rejections you know they were the next yeah. level and uh i think you have to be an author to really learn to appreciate a personalized rejection <laughs> <laughs> yes uh some masochistic part of us loves it yeah I think. yeah and and then you know i just kept at it and eventually i added another level to the pyramid and that was acceptances you know and that that bottom level is always going to be bigger than any other level you know more people are going to tell you no but a no doesn't mean wrong it doesn't mean bad it just means it's not right for this or you just need to polish it some more you know yeah and and i think that finding the right home for your stories is definitely a thing like you can't sell that story to anybody it it belongs somewhere you have to find it though oh yeah no i've uh I have one story that I just love to death. Uh, I think it's one of my best short stories and uh, I've, I've sent it off to like uh, four different, uh, uh, four different places and uh, none of everyone has passed. Every person has passed on it, Uh, but it always gets, or not always, but uh, after I did some revisions on it, ever since then it's gotten uh, personalized rejections and it's always, Hey, no good story. Just, not quite what we're looking for, you know? Yeah. Um, I've, I've got one of those too. And it's, it's a story about a guy who played a superhero in the movies and on TV and then decides to become one in real life. But nice. I can't for the life of me figure out who wants to publish it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, that's the beauty of, of today is that you can, um, you know, like I have a bunch of these uh, just over the years, I've acquired a bunch of stories that just don't quite fit necessarily with my larger body of work. Um, you know, there may be just a, I just had a weird idea, wrote it down one day. And I know that, you know, I may never find a specific home for it, but uh, as years pass and that pile gets a little bit bigger, eventually I am just going to put out uh, an anthology of, here's the dribs and drabs that didn't fit anywhere else. You know, here's, uh, here's the, the weird, <laughs> here's Bob emptying out the, uh, the packet drawer and here's what oh, you gotcha. get. So it's like a, the, the catch all anthology. I dig it actually. Yeah. I think that's a great idea because well, so what if it's not on brand, you know, yeah. like it, it'll, it's still you. Exactly. Well, and you know, it was one of those, uh, again, keep talking about it but john harkness uh he did he put out a uh an anthology called uh what's it called space cat will travel or something like that and it it has you know it has a few short stories that connect to his larger body of work in there um but a lot of it is like you know his poems you know he's not known as a poet but he's written a number of poems so he put them in there you know 
uh, some of these like standalone short stories that don't connect to anything else. Like it was a great anthology, you know, and it it's one of those that it might not necessarily appeal to just someone walking. I mean, the cover is fantastic. It's a cat in a spacesuit. So what's not to love, but um, <laughs> it, it may not be the kind of anthology that appears to every appeals to everyone, but for someone who is a fan of his work, it's a great anthology, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, a lot of prolific writers have that one thing that is not like the others, but is still really good. I mean, even if I know I'd probably bring him up too much, but Stephen King, you look at like the green mile and that's one of his best books and it's just so unlike any of his other stuff. So, Oh yeah. Well, you know, he's got, he's got a bunch of like eye of the dragon, you know, it's just a straight up fantasy novel, but no one thinks Stephen King and then thinks fantasy. Right. Um, but I mean, you, there's a strong argument to be made that the Dark Tower is just a fantasy series. You know, it's not any sort of real horror at all. It's 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 fantasy. But people don't think about that. You know, they just hear Stephen King and assume horror. But he's got a you know, he some of his uh, coolest stuff. You know, he started writing like hot, hard boiled crime novels you know oh yeah the mr mercedes thing yeah, yeah that was a really good one yeah so he's got some he's got some good stuff out there that's not what you would think of and it's one of those deals that they're probably not burning up the charts as much as his more traditional horror but for those that are real fans of him you know that they're seeing that and appreciating it so um i guess what i'm trying to say is for those of you out there that have those one-off short stories uh, hold on to them and build them up until you can release them as an anthology. <laughs> yep. That's, that's the lesson to be learned. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So uh, I have a background in music. So uh, I always like to ask, uh, what do you listen to when you write? Do you white noise, silence, music? What, what's the soundscape when you're, when you're writing? Oh man. Uh, so I also have a background in music. I grew up playing in rock bands and stuff. Nice. And I like my favorite band of the world's Foo Fighters. Been, I've listened okay. to a ton of that yeah. uh, style of rock, but I mean, some metal thrown in there, some classic yeah. rock on occasion, but just a lot of rock and roll as loud as yeah. it go. That's how I do it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. No, I uh, actually used to roadie for a band out of Nashville for a little while. So that's um, awesome yeah no so okay cool listen to rock i love it love it so uh for the third time this episode i'm going to mention him uh my author hero is a man named john hartness and he talks about how no matter how quickly writers write they cannot write as fast as people read so because of that there's plenty of love to go around authors should always be promoting and sharing each other's work so two-part question one who is your author hero and two who is an author you think we should be checking out that maybe we aren't okay uh well so my author hero like uh, we've talked about stephen king but my actual author hero is his son joe hill Uh, I, i prefer his stories i think that they hit me at an age when I was like, okay, I know I'm going to be a writer of some kind. And I started reading his stuff and it just connected with me in a way like I need to be able to do this. Yeah. And so he's my writer hero. And as uh, far as who you should I'm I'm just going to say hot take. Joe Hill is better than Stephen King. Um, 
Now, Stephen King is far more prolific. Yeah. But I yeah. think Joe Hill's a better writer. Uh, yeah, now, granted, I agree. he, you know, it helps when your dad is Stephen King. But uh, <laughs> sure, sure. But, you know, you can't, you know, I, I, I feel like you can learn to write, but you can't learn to write to that level. You know, like some of that has to be innate creativity. So I think so. It's talent. Is yeah. I mean, and some people struggle with that more than others. I mean, even in music and other things like mm-hmm. it, it can all be learned. It's just yeah. some people it comes very easy. Yeah, definitely. All right. So now that I've diverged, who, who's someone we should be checking out? Um, well, you know, I've already pimped him and his wife once, so I'm going to do it again. Alex Nader, you should definitely be reading his stuff. Yes. yes. Uh, he, I've been reading all of his novels and, uh, we became very good friends through talking about the writing process and stuff like that. But, uh, he, he is definitely knocking it out of the park with a yeah. lot of his newest stuff. And he's also just like one of the genuinely nicest people I've encountered in the in the literary scene like he's so helpful so nice oh yeah he'll go out of his way to do anything for you pam will too so yeah good people they deserve the shout out oh definitely definitely and if you're just coming into this episode uh if you wind it back you'll can hear an interview with with old alex in case you missed it so all right uh wrapping up tell us where can we find you in your books uh, well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, if, if you search for Parker Jones writing, I should come up. Um, and then you can also find my stuff on Amazon. And for now, that's it. Uh, there's a few short stories that have been uh, ex- accepted, but are waiting to be published by Dark Regions Press and mm-hmm. Weasel Press um, in anthologies. And hopefully I'll have another novel out uh, this year. That is my yeah. hope. Very nice. Oh, that, that reminds me. I'm been, we're going to, we're not going to end just yet. I saw, I saw that, that you have a, a Wendigo story. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I too have a Wendigo story. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Heck yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, I wanted to know, did you, did you do the Wendigo, but set it in the South or was it more, uh, writing in the cold north how did you go about handling that uh so the wendigo in my story is the spirit of cannibalism that makes the zombie apocalypse oh so uh, it's the zombie apocalypse in the south but uh because of the wendigo oh that's that is intriguing that is intriguing so all right well something to look forward to uh so yeah um man it was awesome talking to you i appreciate you parker jones Thank you for coming on. This was a fantastic interview. Uh, And thank you for giving me your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Good deal. Well, guys, everyone go check out Parker Jones writing. And uh, until next time, y'all be good now. Thank you for taking the time to check out another exciting episode of Southern Fried Fantasy. If you would. You know the drill. Give us a like, subscribe, follow, all that jazz. We'll appreciate you. Until next time, y'all.
this podcast is part of the Tales by Bob Network. To see all our great shows, go to talesbybob.com.